invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah because it is finished, as Jesus said on the cross. <sighs> Barring the Lord's return in the next 30 minutes, we will finish Isaiah. <clears throat> Which is cool because it kind of has eyes looking forward to that time. So if you'd open up with me, Isaiah chapter 65 is where we find ourselves tonight. Isaiah chapter 65. Now maybe you remember, if you were here last time, Isaiah 63 through 64 is uh, what's called the prayer of the remnant. And uh, it's, uh, it's the Lord's faithful servants crying out to God and looking for an answer, looking for God's deliverance. And the Lord answers them in chapter 65 and 66 as he, as he closes out the book. He looks prophetically down forward all the way to a new heaven and a new earth. And between now and the new heaven and the new earth, here's what's going on. Between now and then, we have the rapture of the church. We have the tribulation period. We have the millennial reign of Christ. At the culmination of that millennial reign of Christ, we have a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to look like he's looking through time at these mountaintops. And each mountaintop he's going to touch on. He's going to touch on each one as we take a look at, at his answer, his response to the prayer of the remnant. Check it out. 65, verse 1. It says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me, and I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. <clears throat> Ultimately, here the Lord answering the prayer of the remnant at the time of Isaiah says, there's a time coming of the church looking ahead to the church what's he saying there's a group of people that aren't looking for me that don't have a special relationship with me if you were here this morning we talked on this that the nation of israel were given many advantages in fact romans uh, chapter 9 lays out those advantages for us and ephesians chapter 2 lays out the disadvantage for the the gentile and now jesus christ by his blood on the cross has brought both groups together in a new creation called the church and here in verse 1 of chapter 65, he's seeing that. He says, look, I was sought by those who, who did not ask for me, found by those who didn't seek me. It was not his people, not the nation of Israel. He's looking forward to the time when his genuine servants in the church will call upon his name. Look at verse 2. For I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Now, turning his eyes away from the church, he looks back at who? The nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Remember I told you in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, Paul quotes this. And he says that all day long the Lord reaches out his hands to a, a disobedient and a contrary people. And, and Isaiah is going to build on that concept here. But the point is, to me the point is, all day long he reaches out his hands. He doesn't say, I took my hands away. I reached out for so long, I'm done. Forget it. I'm finished with you guys. But he says, no, all day I reach out. And look what he says. If you want to know what it means to walk in your own way, he lays it out for us. Who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. I'm reminded of the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what? What was right in his own eyes. <clears throat> what he thought is right. Proverbs chapter 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. Where does it lead? To death. The end thereof is death, right? It's, it's, it's going in opposition to God. 
So here the Lord says, I'm reaching out my hands to my people, my chosen people that I called out from all the nations. I'm reaching out my hands, but they're disobedient to me. And they're walking in their own ways. They're doing their own thing. They're not really looking to me. And he talks a little bit more about what they were doing. A people who provoke me to anger continually in my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick. Now, why would that bother the Lord? Well, when he says they, they sacrifice in gardens, he's referring to, and in fact, in both cases, he's referring to idol worship. They would go to the gardens, to the high places. They would build these places, these areas, where they could worship false gods. Why? Because the worship to false gods always involves sexual immorality. Either priests or priestesses that they would have sex with. And they knew exactly what to do with the unwanted children that would be born from from this consummation of these different relationships, they would offer them on the fires to Molech and burn them up. So we see that this, this was appealing to the flesh of the children of Israel. It appealed to the flesh of the Canaanites before them. It still appeals to our flesh today. There's still people that live that way, that live worshiping the, at the altar of sex, thinking that somewhere down the line that they're going to find the... Uh, satisfaction they're going to find uh, their peace but their peace will only be found in christ well he's talking about his people the ones he gave his word to the ones he spoke to on mount sinai the ones who had all these advantages before we're too hard on them the reason god lays this out for us is so that we would remember where they fell and take heed what does the scriptures tell us let him who thinks he stands take heed why Lest he fall. Lest he fall. Hey, you better pay attention to where they fell. Because those are the same areas that Satan attacks today. The same struggles. Then he says, you burn incense on altars of brick. The altars that God called to be built for sacrifice. You remember how they were supposed to be made? They were supposed to be made out of natural stone. Just the rock you found on the ground. Why? Because God didn't want your attention drawn to the altar. Where did he want your attention? The sacrifice. The sacrifice. That's the point. The point is the sacrifice, not how pretty you could build this altar. But here he says you're offering incense on on these carved out altars. Again, pointing to idolatry because they make these big old fancy temples. At the time, uh, the nation of Israel, you know, uh, the... Even the, prior to the temple, they're looking at the tabernacle. It was an ugly thing from the outside. Until you got down inside, you didn't even realize the beauty that was there. The Lord's, the, the idea behind it all, the focus is the sacrifice. The focus is who died for you. For them, it was this little lamb who pointed to who? Jesus Christ, the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, right? So he says, you're, you're sacrificing on altars that have been carved, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs. Now, were his people supposed to mess around with the dead? No, they're not supposed to mess around with the dead. It made you unclean to mess around with the dead. Why? Was that a big deal? God's laying it out because at that time in the land of Canaan, through Babylon, all the way through history to this point, there's a worship of the dead. Still today. Still today, we see those things occur. There's a, a worship of the dead. He's saying his people were involved in that. In worship of the dead, sitting around the, the graves and spending the night in the tombs. 
who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, yeah, there went my bacon, huh? I'm thankful that God didn't have me born at this time. He says, now look at verse 5. He says, who say, keep to yourselves and do, do not come near me, for I am holier than thou. Listen, God says, here's your problem. You guys are fake, religious, you're doing all these other things. And then you got the nerve, the audacity to tell Gentiles, stay away from me because I am holier than you. And God's like, man, you guys are messed up. You guys are messed up. We want to be careful that same attitude doesn't infiltrate the church. How does it come in? It always comes in the same way, through legalism. What did they, what did they keep? All the rituals, right? So they, instead of understanding the signs behind it, they said, I'm circumcised. That makes me saved. Did circumcision save? Nowhere in the scripture did circumcision save. Circumcision was the outward sign of what? <clears throat> An inward change that was to occur in their life when they came to the Lord by faith. In the church today, we have the same thing in, in baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. We're baptized to proclaim to whoever will listen, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Did the baptism save me? No, the faith, the proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ is what saved me. So there, there are people still today that think, if I follow religion, I go to church on Sunday... I put, you know, 20 bucks in the offering. I was baptized. Maybe I was baptized as a child, whatever. I'm covered, man. I got my fire insurance. I won't go to hell. I've done all the things I need to do. But the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of what? Works. It doesn't have, it's not of ourselves. It's not of our works. We don't have anything to do with it except for receiving it. <clears throat> These guys... We're so proud of their relationship with God that they forget where they came from. That's why all throughout the Old Testament and the New, God says, remember. 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 Remember where you've come from. Remember where you're going. So what does God say about them in the second half of verse 5? These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. I don't think that's good. To be smoke in God's nostrils. He's irritated. He's angry. Look what he says. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but will repay. Even repay into their bosom your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. He's saying, listen, whatever a man sows, that will he also Reap. If you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. God's saying, hey, you guys think that, that you have a relationship with me by birth. There's no such thing. God doesn't have grandkids. He only has children. People who put their faith in him. There's no way to the Lord through my, my father or my mother or my aunt or my uncle or my grandma. None of those things. I got to come to the Lord on my own. My own, I need to seek him. My own, I need to come. And here comes their recompense. Here comes the judgment of God being poured out on a, on a Christ-rejecting world. So in, beginning in verse 8, he focuses on a promise of blessing for his true believers and a promise of judgment for the make-believers. He says, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, 
And one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So I will do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. Hey, that's a pretty cool verse, because this is what he's saying. You remember when God came to Abraham and said, should I tell Abraham what we're getting ready to do? And the other angels said, sure, Lord, you should tell him. And so he said, we're going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're fixing on destroying those two cities. And Abraham, realizing that his nephew Lot was there, asked God an important question. You remember what it was? Shall you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous in the city? Will you still destroy the city? What did God say? No. What if there's 40, 30, 20, 10? I think Abraham's counting. Lot, his wife, his kids, it got to be 10. If there's 10, will you destroy? No. What do we see? What's the truth? Did God destroy the righteous with the wicked in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Before the destruction came, what did God do? He took Lot out, right? How did he take him out? Did Lot just follow him uh, obediently? No. The angels had to drag him out of the city. Yeah. You know, I liken that phrase to a Greek phrase, harpazo. Harpazo. We read that scripture in 2 Thessalonians this morning that talks about at the last trump, the trump of God will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That word is harpazo. It means to be taken away. Not voluntarily leave. To be taken away. The Lord laid his hand on Lot and took him out of the city and then destruction came. And I believe the same thing occurs with the church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And soon the bride of Christ is going to stand before God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I refuse to believe that before the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the church is married to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's going to beat the snot out of her first. Because isn't that what the tribulation period is? The the outpouring of the wrath of God, right? You cannot get past it. Revelation chapter 6 tells us it's the wrath of who? The Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ. The wrath of the Lamb. Who's the church married to? Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to beat his wife? I don't believe it. When, when Abraham took Lot out of a city before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how was Lot? Was Lot super great? <clears throat> great, wonderfully righteous guy? No. But his heart was right before God, right? And God took him out before judgment came. I think that's an important thing to understand and an important thing to see. And what we see here is God saying, listen, if you've got a cluster of grapes and some of them are bad and some of them are good, I'm going to leave the cluster And I'm going to take the good and leave the bad. We see in the harvest at the end, Jesus speaking of that harvest when the angels would come. You remember that the devil came and he sowed tares in with the wheat. And they said, Lord, should we go pull all those weeds out? And God said, no, why? You might pull up some good while you're pulling up the weeds. Leave it. At the end, the harvest, does God know the righteous from the wicked? Yeah, he does. He's able to do the harvest. He will do that harvest. And that's the harvest he's talking about here. When he speaks of my servants, that's anybody who by faith puts their faith in God. I'm talking about saved Israel. I'm talking about Jews. And I'm talking about the church. Whoever are his servants. Listen to what he says. 
So I will do for my servants that I may not destroy them. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah an heir of my mountains. My elect will inherit it and my servants will dwell there. You see, I told you he's going to look forward. Now he's, he's looking into what we call the millennial age when the king, the real return of the king takes place. Who's the king that we're waiting for return? Jesus Christ. Hey, in the beginning, when the angel stood before Mary, he said that Jesus Christ would sit on the throne of David. Has he done that yet? That means it still has to happen, right? Jesus Christ, the return of the king, we see it in Revelation chapter 19. He returns, sets up his kingdom, and at that time, the church will return with him, having been married to Christ. We will be joined to him. We will always be with him from that point forward, forevermore. He will return and set up his kingdom. At that point, the church is going to be those who were saved, who came to faith in Jesus Christ through the tribulation, before the tribulation. They're going to be there like he is. Sin will be done with. It's gone. It's over. The Bible says when we see him, now we see through a glass darkly. Then how? Face to face. Face to face. We will put off the corruption of this life and put on uncorruption incorruption he's going to do that perfect work in us and through us so when we look we want to we want to understand that that's what he's looking to now as he sees he says one's coming from judah who's the lion of the tribe of judah jesus christ the return of the king coming through judah his heir my elect will inherit it and the servants will dwell there those who have by faith love jesus christ coming into his kingdom the saved of the nation of Israel coming into his kingdom. Those who survived the tribulation and uh, according to Matthew 25, survived the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Enter into the kingdom. Enter into the kingdom. Those who didn't await judgment. He goes on to say, then also Sharon will be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. You remember Achor? Something famous happened at Achor. There's a guy, when Joshua was conquering the, the land of Canaan, his name was Achan. And Achan took something that God said not to take. There was sin in the camp, and they had to deal with that sin in the camp. And ultimately, Achan was judged by God, and his life was forfeit. That all occurred in the valley of Achor. But that's not what it's going to be remembered for anymore. Now it's going to be remembered as a place for the flocks to lie down. Entering into the time of the kingdom when all things will be made right in Jesus Christ. But you, now looking back, but you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering to many. Gad is fortune, many is destiny. There are false gods. You prepare a table for fortune. And you furnish a drink offering for destiny. Therefore, I will number you for the sword, and you will all bow down to the slaughter. Listen, this is going to be repeated a couple times. Because when I called you, you didn't answer. When I spoke, you did not hear. But you did evil before my eyes and chose. What did it say? And chose, right? That's important. There are people out there who will say there is no such thing as choice. What did the word just say? You chose 
that in which I do not delight, that which displeases me. You made a choice to reject God. He said, when I spoke to you, did not hear. When I spoke to you, did not hear. Reminds me of that judgment in Matthew chapter 25. Remember what the Lord says? I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they said, when, Lord, didn't we do those things? He said, when you didn't do them unto the least of these, my brethren, you did not do them unto me. <clears throat> when did God speak and we, and we haven't heard? They have his word, don't they? They have his word. Think about this story. The rich man and Lazarus. Everybody remember that from the Gospel of Luke? The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything he wanted. Lazarus had nothing. But Lazarus was righteous, had a relationship with God. <clears throat> they both died. The rich man, he went to Hades, awaiting judgment at the great white throne. The poor man, he went to Abraham's bosom, awaiting the cross and ultimate entrance into heaven. As they were in that place, it says that the rich man could see Lazarus. And so he said, Abraham, send Lazarus over here with a drop of water on his finger that he might cool my tongue. And Abraham says, we can't come to you. You can't come to us. There's a great gulf between us. There's a great gulf between us. No one can cross that gulf. And so the, the man said, the rich man said, then send Lazarus to my brothers that they would change. They'll see him and they'll change who they are. They'll, they'll, they'll have a relationship with God. Remember what Abraham said? They have the law and the prophets. If they won't believe that, neither will they believe if one is risen from the dead. I spoke to you. And you would not hear me. You chose to reject. This is God's proclamation. Remember I said first it's the blessing to the true believer. Second it's the judgment to the make believer. He's focused in on the make believer right now. You did evil before my eyes. And chose that in which I do not delight. Therefore says the Lord God. My, my servants shall eat. But you'll be hungry. My servants will drink. But you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you will be ashamed. Behold, my servants will sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen. Isn't that interesting that right here in this same section of Scripture, the Lord calls those who are real believers the chosen. And the lost, those who chose to be lost. You see, Scripture clearly lays out, to as many as received Him, Jesus Christ, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Part of His family. Salvation occurs when we choose the Lord. And the moment we choose the Lord, what does God call us? My chosen. God says, I picked you from the foundation of the world. I picked you from then. That's what he's saying here. Your name is going to be a byword, a, a curse to my chosen. For the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. Do you know that the scripture tells us in the book of Revelation, when we see Jesus, he's got a new name for us? You ever heard the song, there's a new name? How's it go? New name written down in glory. I couldn't get that in my head. New name written down. Now I won't be able to get it out of my head. But there's a new name written down in glory, a new name, a name that perfectly fits us. Why? Because God knows us completely, utterly, totally. If you have a relationship with him, 
Can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't fake God. He knows you. And you have a new name. A new name. This is what he's talking about here. So, that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. He who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Why? Because the former troubles are forgotten. And because they are hidden from my eyes. Listen, for behold, what did he do? I create new heaven and a new earth. By the way, that word create there in Isaiah is the word bara. Why is that important? Because it means I create from nothing he's not fixing the world he's starting over when there's a new heaven and a new earth it means a new completely utterly not remodel this is not a remodel that god's doing any more than it's a remodel that he does in our life does he say i i I create a new work i'm gonna i'm gonna do a remodel in dan i'm gonna fix him all the screwed up things in dan no he says the old man is dead gone And I make him new, completely, utterly, totally new. Same concept for the new heaven and the new earth. Create from nothing, and then the former, what? The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Revelation chapter 21. New heaven and a new earth, we live happily ever after, forever. We will not think of the former things ever again. The Lord says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So there will be no more tears, no more sadness. <clears throat> there will be no more death or dying. It is all gone. On that day, new heaven, new earth, the former things will pass away. In verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. As a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. The joy of my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her. Nor the voice of crying. Jerusalem. It means a city of peace. Something in the neighborhood of 813 wars have been fought in the city of peace. The more, more wars have been fought in Jerusalem than any other place on the planet. More than any place else. It's been destroyed more than any other city on the planet. The city of peace. God says the new Jerusalem, that's not happening anymore. You know how the Bible describes the new Jerusalem? It has 12 foundations. It comes down out of heaven like a giant box. Roughly the size of the moon. The size of the moon. It hovers over the new, the new earth. <clears throat> the, the new Jerusalem where the believers are going to dwell. You know what's so cool about the size of the new Jerusalem? Every man, woman, and child who ever lived would be able to have one square mile in the new Jerusalem. God made it big enough for everybody. Everybody won't come. But he made it big enough for everyone, whosoever will, could come. Again, Revelation tells us about that new Jerusalem coming down, the new heaven, the new earth, the beautiful thing that God's doing, the beautiful work. By the way, that, the new Jerusalem, that's where you get the pearly gates. Twelve foundation, twelve gates. Each of the gates is from one pearl. That's a big pearl. Hate to see the size of the oyster who give that pearl. He goes on, listen, now, now he's looking at the new heaven and new earth. Now he's going to he bring his focus in, look at the next mountaintop in. He's going to look at what's going to occur during the millennium. Listen. 
No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner being 100 years old, he will be accursed. What's he saying? He's saying, if, he's not saying that there will be anybody dying, but he says, if a baby die, if someone died at 100 years old, they'd say it was a baby, an infant, a child. And then it must be accursed. Because how could it die at only 100 years old? What are we saying about the kingdom age? That we're going to go back to the, the, the way the earth was at Eden. You remember how long people lived back then? You know that the Bible tells that that occurred because there was a, a foundation of water that encircled the earth. So that the ultraviolet rays of the sun couldn't penetrate and bring aging to the people who were on the earth. That's why they lived so long. When did that stop? At Genesis chapter 6, the Lord opened up the fountains of heaven and all that water that was above the earth in that canopy that made the whole earth like tropic all the way around, it all came to earth. And the earth was covered with a flood. And ever since, that canopy's been gone. What do we see to the length of days? It's shortened. It's shortened. When he comes back at the kingdom... We're going to see long life again. Verse 21, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people be. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord. And their offspring with them. The time of the kingdom age. Everything's going to be perfected. It's not going to be like it is now where you build something, you build a house, you have a field, and some guy stronger comes and whoops you and takes it. The Lord says it's not going to happen anymore. Every man's going to do his own thing. They're going to build his own. He's going to have his own. He's going to harvest his own. That's going to be all done away with. Verse 24, it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The Lord's talking about there's going to be this profound spiritual transformation that takes place during the kingdom. So when people have a need, Jesus is going to know about it right now. Boom, right now. Why is this occurring during the kingdom age? I've shared with you before. The Lord's going to rule for a thousand years perfect peace. Why? Because Satan's chained up. What's God trying to prove? He's trying to prove that man is not built on what he, how he lives. He's not a product of his environment. Because in one season, he's going to lose Satan. And what will man do? Rebel against God. Rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come against him. Even though there's been perfect peace, there's nothing to complain about. Even though there's been long life, there's nothing to complain about. Even though when they had a request, a need, God would fulfill it right, right then, before they could even get it out of their mouths, it'd be fulfilled. Still, they will rebel. What else does he say? Listen, maybe you've heard this before. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. How many of you guys have heard the lion will lay down with the lamb? That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. And... The lion will eat straw like the ox. It's going back to the way it was in Eden. Animals didn't eat each other. There was no death prior to the fall of man. No death, no dying. So the lion will eat 
will eat straw like the ox. But listen, what's the serpent eating still? The dust. He's still, <laughs> that poor fellow, he's cursed all the way to the end. The serpent is still eating dust. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Seeing that time, that, <clears throat> that period of time known as the kingdom. In chapter 66, he goes on. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hands have made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The Lord says, what are you going to do for me? What can you do for me? I made everything. It's like saying here, it's, even in regard to our tithes and our offerings to the Lord, what do we have that God didn't give us? Nothing. It's all His. It's all His. But the Lord says, this is what I really like. He really likes what? The kind of man that He likes, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. That word contrite in the Hebrew means lame or disabled. Broken. On him who is broken. That broken spirit who trembles at my word. The Lord says, I exalt my word above all my name. God takes his word as more valuable than his name. And by the way, he takes his name to be valuable too, right? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's one of the commandments. But the Lord says, I exalt my word above all my name. Then he's looking again at the make-believer. He who kills a bull... It's like he slays a man, he who sacrifices a lamb, as if he breaks a dog's neck, he who offers a grain offering, as if he offers swine's blood, he who burns incense, as if he blesses an idol, just as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. He's saying, listen, they're fake. They're fake believers, make believers, and they might as well be killing a man when they offer a bull, because I don't care, their hearts are far from me. They draw near the Lord with ritual. Well, God doesn't want ritual. He wants a relationship. He says, they they might as well kill a man, break a dog's neck. What you're doing in your ritual doesn't matter if you don't have a relationship with Almighty God. If you don't know the Lord, it's just all a waste. So what does the Lord say about them? So I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 In the last days... What is the the Lord says? I will stand what? A strong delusion. I'll choose their delusion. Why? Because their relationship with God is built on fakeness and it's built on on religion, not reality. Ritual. It wasn't real. Because, here's that phrase again, listen. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes. And chose that in which I do not delight. It's that same scripture again. God said, I spoke to them. They wouldn't hear me. They wouldn't hear me. They did evil. I called. No one answered. The Lord has sent, sent out the call to anyone, right? Whosoever will. But those who don't answer aren't his. They're not chosen. 
They're not chosen. They chose to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So what's he say? The, the <clears throat> contrast to that. So hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake. Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they will be ashamed. God says, now listen, those of you who put your faith and trust in a word, and the religious people put you down, they threw you out of the synagogue, they threw you out of the church, they had nothing good to say about you, I want you to know, you'll have joy, they'll be ashamed. The fake, religious, ritualistic people, God knows them. And they're not pulling any wool over God's eyes. He says, but you who are real, who are true, who they they persecute, you're going to have joy. They're going to be ashamed. Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day. And he'll say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting darkness, for I never knew you. Oh, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these things in your name, Lord. And he says, I don't know you. We didn't have a relationship. You had a ritual. We didn't have a reality. We didn't have a relationship. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, he said this time would come when they'll throw you out, when they'll persecute you, when they'll think they're doing God a favor. He also said in John chapter 16, verse 2, the same thing. They're going to cast you out. They're going to persecute you. They're going to, they're going to think that they're following the Lord in their rituals and their traditions. But you're the one with the reality. First Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> Peter says, Your friends are going to think it's funny that you no longer follow them in drunkenness. That you don't do the things that you used to do with them. And they're going to persecute you. But don't worry about that. Because you're a child of the king now. You will have joy, but they will be ashamed. Verse 6, he says, there's a sound of noise from the city, a a voice from the temple. The voice of the Lord who, who fully repays his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born all at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. The Lord talking about his return, Revelation chapter 19. It's sudden. It's not a a, a time of, uh, you know, a progression. Jesus returns, whoops everybody at Armageddon, and Zion rules. Just like that. In a day. In a day. There's the birth pangs. There's the people coming against the nation of Israel. But God is going to be her deliverance. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? No. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. That you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom. That you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Remember the city of peace in a moment at the return of Jesus Christ is finally going to be the city of peace. And the Lord says what a joy that will be. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Isn't that interesting? 
In that time, the kingdom age, there'll be peace like a river in Jerusalem, and the Gentiles, too, are going to be a part of it. We see them as, as co-laborers together. And you shall feed on her, on her side shall you be carried, and be dandled on her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. It's interesting, when, when God says, I pity you, he describes himself as a father pities his children. When God says, I comfort you, he says, I comfort you like a mother. Isn't that interesting? The Lord saying, hey, this is, this is a better form of comfort, that which comes from your mom. So my dad would just slap me and say, get up. <clears throat> when you see this, your heart will rejoice and your bones will flourish like the grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh. When the scripture says he returns, how does he return? Describes him as having a flame of fire, fire from his eyes, and the sword, the word of God, from his mouth, right? The sword and the fire. Fire speaks of judgment all the time. All the time, fire speaks of judgment and the word of God, that which holds everything together, right? The book of Colossians tells us that in him all things consist, have their being, are held together. And that day when Jesus comes back, he don't have to hit a person. All he has to do is just speak and they'll come apart. He's what holds them together. He's what holds life together. <clears throat> Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves... To go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. The ultimate judgment for those who have rejected him. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues and they will come and see my glory. When does that take place? Great white throne. The Bible declares to us in the book of Revelation that at that time all the sea will give up its dead and Hades will give up its dead. And everyone who ever walked on the earth that's not saved or a part of the bride of Christ, they're going to come before Almighty God in all His glory to face the last judgment, the final judgment. And at that judgment, Everyone will declare that God is righteous, even though he condemns everyone who stands before him. Because if you don't stand before God in the blood of Jesus Christ, you stand before God on your own. And on your own, you will not stand. You will not stand. This is what he's saying. Hey, they're all going to come before me and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And those among them who escape, I will send to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, Lud, who draw the bow, Tubal, Javan, to the coastlands far off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory from among the Gentiles. Now again, he backs up and he looks. The nation of Israel, and those who are disobedient, and those who aren't obeying, he's speaking of the <clears throat> diaspora, the dispersion. Hey, I'm going to cast you all out. You're going to go all these different places who don't know me. You're going to get scattered to the winds. Scattering you out to places that don't know me. <clears throat> then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of the nations. 
on horses and in chariots and in litters, leaders on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. I'm going to scatter you, and I'm going to call them. I'm going to scatter you, Israel, and I'm going to call them the Gentiles. And I'm even going to pick some of them to be priests and Levites. What does the Lord say to the church? It's a kingdom of priests. It's a kingdom of priests that are going to fulfill that work. What did Jesus do? He reconciled both together, right? Jew and Gentile, all who will come by faith. Together in a new nation, a new race in Jesus Christ. And that's what he has light to here. For as the new heavens and a new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. What he's saying is, if you're mine, if you're saved, it's forever. Forever. They'll always be with me. And it will come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall go, shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. All flesh, the whole world, new heaven and a new earth before Almighty God. But in verse 24, now he looks to those who have rejected him. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. And they shall be in an abhorrence to all flesh. Those who reject the Lord, their judgment is the same, eternal. Eternal salvation, eternal destruction. No such thing as soul sleep, the Bible teaches, in eternal state, in the absence of Almighty God. In the book of Revelation, we see at the return of Jesus Christ, the, the <clears throat> Antichrist and the false prophet thrown alive into the lake of fire. A thousand years later, at the end of the millennial reign, at the great white throne judgment, all those who passed before the great white throne are cast into the lake of fire, which was not prepared for men. Who was it prepared for? The devil and his angels. Nobody has to go there. What did the scripture say? Those who won't hear me, who choose to do their own thing, they're going to choose hell, they're going to go. And when the scripture describes it, it says, and those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet are. Not where they were, where they are still a thousand years later. Isaiah ends with that concept. Here you have before you life and death. Choose life. The Lord said, I called, but they wouldn't come. I'm reminded of the story Jesus told. Remember the story Jesus told when he said a man was having a wedding feast and he sent out invitations and people said, no, we can't come. We're too busy. They had all these excuses, right? So what did the king say? He said, take the invitation and give them to everybody. Every single person you will. And every person who came to that wedding clothed in righteousness, wearing the white robe, right? The the robe of the wedding feast. They came in, whosoever, I came out to the byways and the highways, I called. And those who came received salvation. That's what we see the scriptures declaring for us here. Who receive 
that robe of righteousness from Jesus Christ. So Isaiah, looking to the end, sharing the future of the nation of Israel, who because of their idolatry will enter into a time of bondage in the capital of idolatry, Babylon. You want to do a, a, a search in the book of Revelation, Babylon is synonymous with idolatry, and <clears throat> it was the home, the foundation, the beginning point. You remember when man rebelled after the flood? He rebelled in a place called Babel, which became Babylon. Same place, same tower, same attitude, same religion passed on around the world. So that was the struggle for the nation of Israel. He lays out for us these examples, so hopefully we'll learn from it and move forward, and we won't make the same mistakes that they did. As we wrap up tonight, I want to give us an opportunity to to just seek the Lord in prayer. So we're going to do that. We're just going to have a quiet time. If you got a bail, God bless you. Sorry, we don't get to talk afterwards, but I understand. If you're able to stay and hang out, awesome. We'd love for you to stay and hang out. But we're just going to spend a quiet time in here before the Lord, a quiet time in prayer. Just the uh, Lord lay something on your heart. We invite you to call out to the Lord, pray. Uh, you can stay in your seat and pray, whatever whatever makes you happy. Ultimately, we want to call upon the name of the Lord during this time and just really seek him in this place. I think God wants to pour out his spirit upon this place and do an amazing work. So, so we're going to do that. If the Lord lays on your heart to pray, all I ask is that you would consider other people who would like to pray too and uh, try to keep things brief so that they have opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for study of Isaiah. We thank you, Lord, that it's in Isaiah that we first hear about the coming of Messiah. It's in Isaiah when we hear about the suffering servant. It's in Isaiah that we first hear about your crucifixion. It's in Isaiah that we see the kingdom, the wolf lying down with a lamb, the lion eating ox, a child playing by the cobra's den. Lord, we thank you that uh, you give us insight into what's coming. And then you tell us, my word is true. What you read is going to be accomplished. Lord, we ask that, Father, you would truly give us eyes to see and understand your word, ears to hear. God, we don't want to be those who, to whom you say, I called, but you wouldn't come. I gave you my word, but you wouldn't receive it. I gave you an invitation but you chose to do your own thing. For on that day, even as Isaiah declares, you will stand before Almighty God with no help. Father, I would much rather come to you clothed in the righteousness of your Son, not of myself, trusting by faith and the sacrifice that he gave for me, that I receive, I choose life, and it's life eternal. Father, I pray for each of us in this place, that we would come to that place, that we would value your word, that we would tremble at your word, that we would want to know your word, for you lay out for us. It's in that that we'll find life, that we'll see you, for every page speaks of you. Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this place, God, as we seek your face. 
in prayer now in Jesus' name.